Hello and welcome to our Draw, Lose or Draw Halloween Spooktacular 2022. Joining me as always at this time of the year, Mark Wallace. Mark, when was the last time you, you dressed up for Halloween? That's a good question, I can't remember. Uh, I tend to leave that to the, the, the young whippersnappers these days. Uh, I just like to get, I just like the sweets. Yeah. David, there's somebody that dresses up as a as a goth 365 days of the year. When when did you last dress up, especially for Halloween? I I I like I'm I'm one of those people that enjoys it, but I'm not I'm not necessarily I don't dress up usually at Halloween or anything. I, I love it every day, but um I it's I try to think the last time I dressed up oh, probably when I was a kid. To be fair, there, there there's no dignity in being like in your 20s going like trick-or-treating or anything like that and in my 20s I didn't go to like nightclubs or anything like that I didn't really have too much of a reason to do it but I, 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 we've been asked to dress up on Friday and work so I don't know what the hell I'm going to turn up as there but we'll see You should dress as a normal call centre worker instead of corporate goth well, I always look like a miserable fucker anyway, so I pretty much do dress up <laughs> Cozy and McCall get yourself a wee clipboard all the thistle gear <laughs> Couple of fags, you'd be cool. That that be quite, I'd be quite good as a coach sitting on my club, writing in my notebook every time someone says something on a call. So we were uh, inspired is probably the the wrong word, but um, <laughs> the Aberdeen Cup defeat, which you'll have heard us talk about on the last pod, has got us thinking about five times where Partick Thistle got our hopes up, only to characteristically dash them not long after. So we're going to talk about five instances in the all in the fairly recent past where Partick Thistle got our hopes up. And we will start at number five. Number five! <laughs> May 2019, staying up at Palmerston, having a fairly okay end to the season after a difficult start to, to Gary Caldwell's reign. Feeling optimistic for the, the season ahead for a few days, only for us to release Chris Dolan in um, ungracious circumstances. Mark, what was your what are your memories of that that particular time in those few days after Palmerston, that feel-good day at Palmerston, uh, into Chris Dolan being released? Well, I actually couldn't make the game. I think I had... I was out for drinks with my friend with a couple of mates for something I think it was like a birthday or so something like that and I remember going out getting the bus into town and the bus breaking down on the way into town and it was about that time I got the the man the notification for the Mansell goal so I'm like oh, okay that's the pressure off then we get the second the third we're staying up. It's like you said. It was a good. It was a decent end to the season that we had. Caldwell moved us away from 
disaster. And then I just, I think, I think it was the Monday or the Tuesday, and I just remember like, oh, I'd been out doing something. I'll go for, I'll go for a, like a quick. I'd been out for a, like a walk or something at like, like ten, eleven in the morning. I thought, go for a kit, come back, and then I come back and I've got a phone call. I've got a voicemail from somebody who never phones me, and I'm like, well, that's never good. And he's like, mate, uh, are you all right? And I'm like, what do you mean I'm all right? He's like, eh, that's all I've released all. I'm like, you, you what? Like, I, I, like, I couldn't believe it. I could not believe it. David, what about you? What about we, we talk about the, the end to that season? And it, it was a sort of different feel because that was obviously a very tough season. And the jury was still out on Gary Caldwell at that time, even after they managed to keep us up. Um, at Palmerston. What, what are your memories from the last few weeks of that season? Yeah, it, w- it was an odd one because we'd it would it been a it'd been a really odd season and like I mean we had the low when Archie got sacked and we were in a proper state. I mean I, I was I was with you when Archie got sacked um at the at the QP quiz night and it was, it was the, the famous photo of us both being like um, held by by our now wives <laughs> um, uh, to console us, so we kind of went through that, and then came out the other end, and we weren't very good for a large part of the season. Then we kind of picked the pace up. I remember actually, Mark. I can tell you exactly where you were. Um, in fact, Matt could probably tell you where you were, but I know exactly where you were because it was Is a, it Roderick a re- It was indeed the Roderick wow. do, and um, I. I also didn't go to the game, and reason was I was working um, until four o'clock, and I remember um, no, it must have been five o'clock. It, it must have been five o'clock because I um, I, I finished work and was obviously sitting watching uh, sitting watching like the BBC updates and working summer, whatever. Uh, absolutely buzzing for the last hour or two, and um, I remember just coming out when the final whistle went and getting a text message from Mark saying pints right literally and i was like you know what fuck it why not and i actually i'm pretty sure i came into town and met you at roderick do <laughs> and we had we had pints together and and i worked out in fucking um holly town <laughs> at the time and i was like yeah fuck it we're going to town went to roderick do had some pints stuff like that and yeah like make no mistake like that that game against queen of south the elation because we'd been so bad for so long that like I don't know, it felt like a very, very special moment that we actually stayed up and like I get text some people similar to Mark, I get text some people but the other way around when we, we stayed up with people, you know, who know I'm a Fissile fan but had seen the scores and stuff like that, going like congratulations and all that, which you don't usually do. But yeah, so it, it was this big moment of going, right, we, we've avoided the catastrophe, we can kick on next season. And nobody at that point was saying that Doolan was the answer to everything. Like I think a lot of us had, you know, agreed that Dylan very much was on the, the the downward slope. But I mean, he'd been given a contract that that year. That basically they said in the press release, this will take him until he retires, and when he retires, he will become a coach of us because he was a like a coach with the reserves at the time, I believe. And they basically they'd set up all the plans that when he eventually retired, he would retire with us. And stay with us and go into the go upstairs, so to speak. And then I I always remember the 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 thing I posted at the time when I seen it was imagine if you were heavy religious, like heavy heavy religious, and just woke up one day 
and it was just a message on Facebook to say that uh, we, would, we would like to announce that Jesus Christ's contract um, has been has ended and he will be leaving the flock at the end of the season. Like that, that, that was what it was like, a completely inconsolable, a man who I don't think you'll find a Fissile fan alive who, who doesn't love Chris Dolan. And just the way it was done with, you know, it was announced to everybody before Dolan got a chance to tell his family it was just a, a downright shitty way to do it. And, you know, Caldwell will have his reasons, but for me, it was just, for someone who's done so much for us, to give him basically a kick up the arse out the door was nothing short of shocking. And to be honest, I, I do still feel that that decision still has ramifications now. There are people now who just do not trust the board from that moment, irrespective of what they do because of that happening. And I think if they hadn't done that and it went out in a different way, things would be a little bit different now. But yeah, it's it's still it's still it's still shocking to me, to be honest. Well, I agree, David, and I I don't think it's the fact that Doolan would have changed games in the following season, but I think Gary Caldwell just really shortened the leash that he was going to get from Thistle fans. I think he was under pressure from about Christmas time that season, and eighteen nineteen season that is, and. The jury was out for a long time and then it was sort of March time when Scott McDonald came in and he was scoring goals and we had Anderson McMillan at the back and we started to look like a bit of a team and then we stayed up at Palmerston and I know it's a bit of a, like, it's a sad state of affairs when like one of the biggest days out in your sort of recent history is winning at Palmerston to stay in the championship but sort of whether you like it or not, it is one of the, the biggest and most important days of the last three or four years. And it was a good day. Like fans were on the pitch, fans were in good voice. Um, I remember Gary Harkin sort of lobbing balls into the crowd at half time. It was a really good day out, and all of the goodwill that Caldwell had coming from that. I remember driving back up the road from Palmerston, and I did a, a thread on Twitter rating everybody's season and rating Gary Caldwell and saying you'll get the chance next season because some of the business he did in January was good, and he showed signs of sort of beginning to turn it round. And then all that goodwill he just took away by that decision and even if we'd started the next season like we started but Doolan was around he might have got a few extra games to turn it around but fans were rightly very impatient and as you say David I think the, the ramifications are still being felt now. Mark do you want to come in? Yeah the, the thing about it I was going to say was like to, to paraphrase a, a great man whose documentary work I'm a big fan of, Kenneth Griffith, he talked about during the the relief of uh, the siege of Ladysmith in the Boer War, he talked about going wild with the embarrassment of relieved delight, and I think that was pretty much how it was, it was like okay, that was a wee bit embarrassing that we went from top six of the Premiership to nearly slided into League One in successive seasons, and then they, we had this good moment and it just felt so weird. Even it's like he didn't even bring him on in the game at Palmerston either. Like I could understand it a little bit more if he'd said, right, you know what, Doolan's coming on for the last ten minutes, and uh, that's it. And then, and then, it, like it's, I still would have been very bitter about it, but I, th- I would have had a wee bit more of an understanding if he said, right, if he came on and at the end he was like clapping the fans whatever and it's like oh my god he's he isn't gonna go is he and it was like that and then of course you talk about the sort of animosity towards the board and the mistrust by the fans in the board and the people who are there now the stakeholders of the club 
they realised very, very quickly at that testimonial. They were like, oh shit, this is bad. He needs to go. Yeah. Yeah, I, that was the reason he got sacked. So I think it's been pretty much acknowledged by many people. The reason he got sacked is that everyone saw how fucking miserable we were when we played under Caldwell. And then they had the Dylan testimonial and everyone was like, wow, the fans are really like loving it today. It's like, you know, like it, it was such a great atmosphere and the atmosphere was so good that they realised they had to get rid of Caldwell because this was the diametric opposite of what normal Thistle games were at the time. And like, it's quite ironic that, you know, Caldwell's possibly his worst, probably, I think it probably is his worst decision is the thing that inevitably killed him down the line. Like, yeah, it came back to bite him in a bad, bad way. Number four. <laughs> we'll move on to number four on the countdown list, then, and it is we're just going to talk about a player in general that we have had on the podcast, but I don't think we've actually spoken about him really at length. It's the signing of Solomon Akulabali, a player that really did get our hopes up at the start of the that 18-19 season and we only saw him a handful of times. So David, how did you feel when Cooler Bally was uh, was announced? Take us back to the start of his Thistle career. I actually thought it was a it was a good bit of business. I know there is the thing of, well, if he's playing for us, there's a reason. You know, I mean I remember him in that uh that Kelly season when they were beating Celtic and stuff like that. And he was he was part of that team. I I'm certain that Koulibaly scored against us as well. He did. Did he not score a screamer against us as well? Um, I'm I sure. Think he, it, no, I think it was a. He, I think it was a header. But yeah, but like uh, he had a propensity draw. I think. Yeah, that Freddy, makes sense. Freddie France scored in the scored late. Mhm. Because I, I remember he also scored that goal against Celtic. One of the best goals you you've ever seen at Celtic Park. Uh, it was unbelievable. And he had such a great season with Kilmarnock and then just kind of disappeared. And when we signed him, because he'd had that good season, you were kind of like, all right, we are literally sponsored by an employment law company. And one of our chief executives is an actual solicitor. Surely they think they have a good chance of getting him in. And we we would be good, you know, we were likely to. I was more convinced that we would see him play. And he would, at the very least, he would get a, a run of games with us. And that we would see him play. But yeah, so I was actually quite excited about it. I didn't think it was going to be straight away, but I thought when we get him on, he'll he'll give us just enough. He'll get us over the line at the very least where he'll get enough goals for us. If anything, to cause to compliment Dylan, where Dylan obviously was on the wane and he he was um, you know, he, he had injuries and stuff like that, and he wasn't the player he was a couple of years ago. And we'd spent so many years trying to find the next Dylan or the, the Dylan counterpart who could pick up the slack for Dylan, and it really felt like Kulabali would be that, and, and he wasn't, <laughs> to be honest. Mark, I can picture you just rubbing your hands throughout the the Kulabali era, uh, and eagerness at telling friends and and relatives stories of Kulabali's uh, infamous era for how years down the line. So here's your chance. Go into depth of what you can remember. <laughs> Well, he had a very good. Obviously, he had that very good. Uh, it was. I don't even think it was a full season. I think it was half a season. At Kilmarnock, and then he moved, made that move to Al Ali 
like for people who don't know, uh, Al Ali are the most successful club on the planet. They've won more trophies and more competitions than anybody else ever uh, in Egypt. They're the biggest club in Africa. They've won the I think they've won the African Champions League something like ten times, something like that. They're constantly successful. Very very big club. Very so like. He went there for like something like eight hundred thousand pounds, which is a lot. That's obviously a lot of money for any Scottish club that's not Celtic or Rangers. And he made the move. I think he was intermittent. It was. I think he scored a few goals, but his general sort of time there seemed to be quite tumultuous because there was. Because I think it had something to do with this sort of closeness together that religion. And politics have in Egypt, and there was a lot of there was a lot of stuff about because he was a Christian in a Muslim country, and there was accusations, very stuff that you don't really want to throw about in a country politically volatile like Egypt. So he get he, he leaves them, and he comes here, and you're like, what's going on? I remember where I, I remember seeing getting the notification through on my phone that would sign. I was like, what? It's like, why is this guy here? It's like, we were, at the time, we were dug me. I think we'd not long sacked Archie, I think. Or just, was it just before? It was about... It was just before. before we sacked it was Archie. just before. Yeah. And I was just like, it's like, why? Why is he here? He went to Al Ali for nearly a million quid in January. And in September, he's at Fur Hill. Why? And then it's like, you're like, because naturally, like, we are not used to good things happening to us and all that. Every time it's like, why are you here? Is there something like, like, like the shit, the Shen Li thing? It's like, why is a Chinese billionaire wanting a, wanting a, wanting a piece of this? It's like, ah, the land, of course. So it is like that, and then if suddenly, then suddenly there's the whole tribunal thing with FIFA, eh, the Al Ali fans spamming our Facebook and Twitter accounts, eh, swearing at us in Arabic. I had my favourite exchange, possibly my favourite day on Thistle Twitter was that day, and it's the greatest comment that anyone has ever left as a Thistle fan on Twitter, where <laughs> people are posting Arabic, and somebody, it is not Manpreet, I know it sounds like Manpreet, it is not Manpreet, I can tell you that, somebody posted underneath, fuck off back to your sarcophagus, you mummified dick. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm, and it, it just it just kills me, and it, I can't remember who it was, but full credit to that man. That was the the best line. It absolutely killed me. Um, and yeah, it was so good that day. That day was amazing. Like that rabid so- ultras with, with explosives <laughs> threatening to like set fire to like fucking Jack and Ellie's or something. That was amazing. Obviously, with hindsight, as you say, Mark. You look back in it, why was Koulibaly at Fahil? Because nobody else would take him. But I, I remember at the time, everyone was like, this is great. Like, this guy's too good for the championship. He'll get 30 goals and we'll be up, no bother. And then we turned up, I think, Tanadice was the first game after they signed and he wasn't in the squad. And we were like, oh, uh, something, something's not right here. <laughs> I was like, oh, some, something's not right here. And then it sort of came to, like, the, the legal issues and whether or not we were sort of allowed to play him without being being sued and then through the Caldwell you know there was sort of fitness and sort of disciplinary issues things like that but a real shame a, a cooler Bali appearance was was really one to one to tick off the list if you were there for every single cooler Bali appearance it was like collecting Pokemon 
Mind that game at Dunfermline when he came on, it was the last game he played and the three of us were jumping about like wee boys. It was amazing. Oh my God, he's actually bringing him fucking on. I will say, he might be my favourite guy we've had on the pod for this year. Have you have you ever talked about the, the interview? I don't think I've told, I've told the Koulibaly interview story. So... I feel like I can tell it now. Enough times passed. I don't think he's listening. It's not. It's not a bad one. But like, really, I messaged him and said, "Do you want to come on this Thistle podcast?" He was like, "Yeah, that sounds great." So I, I was like, "Right, it's probably going to be on Skype, or I can phone you, uh, or you can phone me. Here's my number and stuff." And he was like, "Right, that's fine." I was like, "Arrange a time, whatever the time." And then it got to that time, and he messaged me back. And this was on Instagram. He was like, "Are you ready to do it now?" And I was like, "Yeah, yeah." And then he started an Instagram live story, and he's got like tens if not hundreds of thousands of followers on instagram live and he was inviting me to this instagram live story to do like the interview on there and i was like no 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 like we record it and it goes out as a podcast and he was like no no come on instagram live and we'll, we'll do it there and i was like absolutely not mate absolutely not um so that, that's the club we eventually got the uh, a recording on skype i believe in um, no, 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 no. Oh, no, it was not on Skype. It was not. <laughs> no, it wasn't. <laughs> Tell a lie. It wasn't. Oh, I forgot. Um, he sent uh, about 15 minute long voice notes on Instagram <laughs> and I had to forward them all to the... I think I had to then record them on a separate device of mine through my phone and then send them to David to include and possibly like the worst bit of audio I've ever had. I completely forgot about that, David. Oh, yeah. Uh, you, ha- you had to like give your questions afterwards. You just sat there. It was like 15 voice notes and then like 10 of you going... So when you arrived at the club, how did it feel? And, and then I was on the phone. And also because he lives in, he's in Egypt again, and obviously Egypt is fucking roasting, right? He had his air conditioner on at like full pelt, so all he could hear through his voice was just, in the background. Is I was like, this is a fucking disaster. About what day the pod for you? I know, worse, worse. It, it, I, I harken back to the, the washing machine days of my old laptop. It was so bad. Uh, I, 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 I'm, I'm possibly the most proud of actually getting something out of that and making an interview because it was such a fucking riot. No, he was a good guy. He did have he had plenty of time for me to do it. Like he was dead, dead sound from that way. Eventually worked out that I meant no, we need to have like actual recordable audio. He was, he'd, he'd, Enough time for us to do it. It was good of him to do it. He didn't have to. What I'll do, as we treat, at the end of the episode, seeing as it is, it's spooky Christmas, you know, it's a time of giving as a, as a wee trick or treat for you. If you listen to the end, I'll stick in the Koulibaly interview um, at the end for you so you can listen to it. Unearthed from the crypts from episode 42, a whole 67 episodes ago, back when we were going for the League One title, a wild time. Um, we'll move on though. But, if you're listening to women, thank service. you. <laughs> uh, so we'll move on to number three. Number three! <laughs> and number three, we're going to talk about the summer of 2017. So we think back to, we're just off the back of a top six finish, our, our best finish in over four decades, riding high on the wave of Alan Archibald, who's turning down jobs from the English Football League. We've just signed Niall Keown on a permanent deal. 
received a record transfer fee for Liam Lindsay. Blair Spittle, Miles Story, Jordan Turnbull, Paul McGinn, Milan Nachansky have all come in, all with, with decent pedigree adding to the top six squad. Spirits were very high going to Hibs in the opening day. Uh, Mark, what are your memories of that summer and how you felt going into the 17-18 season? Well, we'll skip the Keown announcement because I was very ill with uh, gastroenteritis and I had to go to hospital. But, um, yeah, it was... Because it was... A, I remember feeling very cautiously optimistic about the season ahead because I always thought there's no way we're going to be able to repeat what we've done because, like, the first season up, I think was that was Rangers' first season in the top flight. They were obviously quite poor, and we probably should have beat them twice. And then, obviously, how we limped over the line in the top six the last three games, the, lost, the defeats to... The, the defeats per, particular to Celtic and Aberdeen, we lost five and six nil with, with threadbare teams with Mark Ridgers and a bunch of teenagers. And um, it's going to be difficult to... Repeat that, especially we because Osman was out injured. Remember, so you like the one of our most influential players is going to be out for a while. So we made some good signings. Keown was there, but we lost Lindsay, and it was it was just re- replaced by a feeling of dread. And then we took the lead in that game against uh, Hibs. Remember, um, it was a really good goal as well. Erskine scored it, and we're thinking, oh fuck, this might actually be really good. And then we were three one down by half time and I remember we were in the mash ton by then so yeah it evaporated pretty fucking quickly this is a bit of a podcast about times our hopes were up man you know it's like I, I we were pretty shite for a while and then we didn't sign very well you'd like no have you ever had hope that's that's a loaded question <laughs> I was going to say <laughs> David Frost <laughs> At least he had a good day in the mash ton. Right. <laughs> oh, that was a good day. And then I, I... But yes, 2017-18, the land of milk and honey. What a time to be alive for about three weeks in the League Cup. <laughs> and I remember, because that was my first time ever going to Easter Road, uh, that Hibs game. As I said, we got a new season, away Easter Road, another ground ticked off. This is going to be great. But Erskine scored. We were all loving it. Then it was 3-1. That was a game where the guy, there was a, at that, this season, I was played with there was a guy who was the most raging person of, of all time who just loved to try and get any fights with opposition fans and he always used to sit next to me. And I remember I watched him, you know Street Fighter? You know there's the, the, the mode in Street Fighter where you can like batter a car? Like where you, you go like Ryu or something like that and you smash up a car and it's sort of like a mini game. He'd done this to a seat at Easter Road. Like full on just started punching and kicking the seat we were like five, ten minutes to go when we were 3-1 down. And it was just a real grim day. And then uh, that was, you know, that was a, a foreboding omen for what was going to come because, yeah, it was a pretty rotten season, to be honest. My header photo on Facebook for a wee while around this time was, I think it was, I can't if it was uh, Donnie or uh, Tommy who took the photo, of the fans when Erskine scored, and you can see me and my mates with my hands up, and you're in the photo as well, Matt. And like we've all, we're all celebrating like that. And I thought I was like, yeah, that's pretty much the high point of the entire fucking thing, isn't it? 
No, I know the theme of the podcast is time stats have got hopes up. I was generally quite optimistic going into that season. I think um, on paper at the time, everyone was really delighted with the signings we'd made. I think the word the word Europe was bandied about. It, it may well have been because um, Rangers were still sort of quite weak. I think that was Hibs' first season back in the top flight for for three or however many years they were down, and the league wasn't especially strong then. And I think there was a feeling where we could sort of be, sort of cement ourselves in that sort of maybe like a a motherwell, like a, an established Premier League team who can who can get into Europe in the odd season. And we did have a good, a really good squad and paper. I think Adam Barton in the 16-17 season was sensational. And I was probably quite surprised we kept hold of him for the next season. Um, even though that season really didn't go to plan for him. We had players that were thinking, this is great. And then for one reason or another, injuries form a bad start. It's it's never really materialised, did it? I think the lowest game outside of Dingwall away, the, lo- the lowest game, strangely... There was a moment in the Queen of the South game in the Cup. Now, that Queen of the South game, that was during Salmon Mania, because we forgot to mention the, the, the greatest striker not named Chris Dillon or Brian Graham, um, Connor Salmon, on his daft run. Um, where uh, That was a guy who brought three uh, giant fish to Palmerston and just swung them about until the steward told him we could have took them in. They just left them in the car park. But I remember that um, Dumbaya as well, he was out like the full half of the season and Osman. And they both think started that game. They both came back because obviously the Premiership shuts down over January. Osman and Dumbaya were in the team, and we were like, "Oh, this is it!" You know, Osman and Dumbaya are back. We're we're going to absolutely do bits here. We're we're going to get out of this. And they were both pish, and like the crowd immediately after about twenty minutes in, when they were making mistakes, everyone shouting, "It's not easy, Abdul." All that, and it was like, yeah, it was. It, it, it was not great. I mean, we won that game, but it was just that moment where you knew, I we're fucked. Like, people have already turned. Right. And they, the big hope that we had to save our season, they've already turned them 20 minutes and we are fucked. I think the 17-18 the season is probably one for a deep dive on a pod at some time. But you are right with the injuries. Elliot had a long period out. I think that was the season Doolan sort of held off surgery. Keogh never found form. I think even Cherney was sort of in and out of the team with injuries and picking up form as well like everything that could have went wrong that season really did and it was a shame because in my lifetime I don't think we've ever been in a better position than the summer of 2017 and I wouldn't say we blew it all in the summer of 2017 a crumbling in the next 18 months than a than a complete collapse but uh, I that that was a real the hopes were probably at their highest in the summer of 2017. We'll move on to number two on the countdown. I believe this is a game we have spoken about before. Mark, I'll come to you on this one as well, as I believe you were the only one on the pod at the game. It was taking the lead at Ibrox in the Scottish Cup in 2008, only to concede an equaliser, not even minutes later, seconds later. Talk us through that one. And how were you hopeful at that point? <laughs> or were you just like, oh, well, we'll lose 2-1? Um, I remember when we got, because that, that cup run, I, quite, I, rem- I remember it being, it was quite eventful, because that was, it started with Dunfermline at home, but it got postponed 
due to a, a frozen pitch, but we had turned the undersoil heating off and then blamed the Glasgow Warriors for doing it. And we called the game off at quarter to three on the day. And I was like, all right, fine. So we we play the replay, the arranged game, and it was the day Heath Ledger died. That's how I remember. Because we were on the way home and it, but the news burst in with it. And we got in about 10 o'clock at night. And then we went to Livingston, drew 0-0, and then we won on penalties. And that got us the game at Ibrooks. And I just remember thinking, it was like, no reason why we couldn't. Because Rangers were in the middle of that run to the UEFA Cup final at the time. So they were on all fronts. It's like, there's no reason why we can't. Even if we take them to a replay, like, I can't think of any reason why we can't beat them. And then they, they, they created chances. They put us under pressure as they do at Ibrox. It's not a full crowd there. And then I just remember Gary Harkins bursting down the left-hand side down the flank anyway and then he plays that ball at Damon Gray and he dinks it by Alan McGregor and I just remember getting launched about four rows and I just remember getting launched like I, I was I was I went over families just <laughs> went forward like there, were, like there were there were like families there for the day out and there's my fucking 18 year old ass just scouting past them and uh, celebrating like fuck and then getting back up and turning around to the Rangers fans celebrating because Chris, Bo- Chris Boyd didn't need it into the back of the net. I was like, ah, oh, for fuck's sake. But like, I did genuinely think, because like, I was speaking to a mate who was a Rangers fan who was at the game, and he was getting it. Like, it was like, see, honestly, see, if you'd held on for like five, ten minutes, we'd have been fucked. Like, if, they, if they weren't scoring then, they weren't scoring at all. And then, obviously, we went, had the replay. We missed a penalty. Hit the bar, hit the post, and Rangers won two 0 and it was over and done me. But I did remember genuinely feeling like we could have, maybe should have beaten them, especially considering we knocked at Johnston, who would have played in the semi-finals out of the League Cup on penalties that season. So if you would have we would have felt good about that, and if we'd done that, I think we had a decent record against Queens that season as well on the final. So I was like, what if, you know? Could have been this on the UEFA Cup in 2008. <laughs> Ian McCall with a legitimate reason to go to Seville. David, we we both weren't at that game for different reasons. I, was, uh, I wasn't I was yet a fully-fledged home and away, and you were spending uh, six out of your seven nights a week in the cat house. What would you do <laughs> these days if, you went, if we went a goal up at Ibrox? Oh, oh, for for legal reasons. Um, <laughs> I'm gonna. I mean, you saw me yesterday at the at the air game where we were gonna go four two. I was ready to go in the pitch. Oh Christ! I would very much would be Mark absolutely taking out families, pushing change all over as it falls out of my pocket as I fall down three stairs. Absolutely. I I actually do remember this game because my family were a Rangers family, so we used to watch Rangers games quite a lot, and I I remember watching this. And this is going to sound like fierce revisionism of me going, oh, actually. But I, I do remember at the time, I thought I thought Fissel should have won it and wanted them to win it because, well, you know, you like to see them do well, don't you? But um, yeah, like if, if we if we went one nil up at Ibrox, like I mean, I mean, we've went one up against like Celtic stuff like that, and it's great. But I I, I cannot imagine one nil up against at Ibrox um, in a Scottish Cup quarter final. It'd be pandemonium. It sure would. 
we can dream. on to number one on our list then and this is a similar theme to number three <laughs> about times thistle got our hopes up we're going to go back to april 2017 and i believe it was specifically the 11th of april 2017 when Partick thistle announced plans for a new four million pound training ground so david um I, I assume that thistle have gone from strength to strength since getting their new training ground do you want to talk us through what a difference that facility's made to the club <laughs> I mean, our youth teams are going from strength to strength. We've got teams at every age. You know, we're absolutely running riot. What a, a great tribute to Davy McParland is to, uh, you know, that the training centre in his name. Uh, we know, I mean, me and you have went to the training centre recently for a reserves game. Um, you know, it's it's a, what a facility it is. Um, mm, yeah, like, it was in, was it Twecker or, or is it Kirk and Tulloch? Mark, you'll know better because you know sort of East, Eastern Bartonshire okay. a bit more. It was Kirky. The Twecker one, the Twecker one was another one before that. <laughs> I was about when I was that was kicking about when Campbell was here. Ah yes, I'm, I'm getting. Twecker one was kicking about in like 2006. <laughs> I, I have to um, apologise for mixing up my training ground bin fires with uh, Kirky and Twecker, so I do apologise about that. But uh, this one was meant to be out near the Waterside Road in Kirky. But it had to be like decontaminated in the road, and like the red flag should have been right there away at the very start when like the club were like, we can't get the heavy machinery up to decontaminate the land because the roads are too small. And Eastern Bartonshire Council went, well, you can pay to fix our roads, and I was like, wait a minute, that's not how that works. <laughs> I'm fairly certain that it's a public. I was forgive me for delving into a right-wing conservative American idea that small government and local government should take precedence and whatnot. And I was I always thought that local authorities had to be on top of shit like that. But then, obviously, you sort of realise everything's just started unravelling like fuck. And uh, we've now got the, the, the... We've got this arrangement with Peters Hill now where the, I think this charitable trust runs that. So like the, the, it's some sort of way as, let's say, we've still technically got it, but haven't they actually built it ourselves? And it's... Oh, dear. I hate this football club sometimes. I really do. They, 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 to, to use a brilliant phrase that my mum, my granny and that have used, they make a mountain out of your molehill a lot. But then the mountain's full of contaminated ground and they can't do it. <laughs> um, I, I do like you going, I think council should be on top of that, with, um, despite the fact that you literally live in Eastern Bartonshire Council and have done your entire life and know how there are fucking shambles. I, I, it's a, it, is, it is a real shame because like out in Kirky, like, Thistle have a big fan base in Eastern Bartonshire and Bishy and Kirky. Where, I mean, like the, for so many years... The sponsor behind the goal was a barbers in Kirk and Tulloch. Do you know what I mean? Like that, like we have fans there, and we have we have, it and it looked like a great idea to have something there. It's not technically where they're from, but it, it is really because the amount of people from Eastern Bartonshire, North Glasgow, who are fans, it, it makes total sense. And um, 
yeah, it, it, it just didn't happen. I was going to just add, just as a wee addendum, we're sitting there talking about Eastern Bartonshire Councils. Like anyone who's been in and around Eastern Bartonshire the last three or four weeks will know fine well that when it comes to like uh, Roadworks Eastern Bartonshire Council, uh, <laughs> piss up and brewery comes to mind. So, yeah. I think it's a real interesting one, and I, I think it is a real shame it didn't happen. It, that could have been the sort of difference maker if we got that in on time when we had a very good squad to build on that. And I know we asked the question a lot on here and in group chats, or oh, if you could like document a period of Partick Thistle's history in a, in a Netflix documentary or something similar, what would you do? And people will say, oh, I'd love to go back to the 71 Cup final or um, when Gary Caldwell took them to the SAST. I think from about April 2017 to like Archie getting sacked, I think that is like one of the most fascinating case studies um, and it really started with the training ground I think from from there the sort of week we secured top six to um, to Archie getting sacked I think it's a fascinating period in our history thanks for joining us on our 2022 Halloween special Mark if you have not given up all hope we'll, we'll have you back on our next year's Halloween special David thank you as well for joining me and we will be back next week oh I've given up hope <laughs> Thanks very much for agreeing to do this, Solomon. The first question I wanted to ask you was, Alan Archibald signed you for Partick Thistle in August 2018. What was it that attracted you to the club? What made you want to sign? The first thing that attracted me uh, to sign for Partick in this time, I mean, uh, 2018, was the manager, you know. The manager um, wanted to bring back the team where they belong, like in the, in the Premiership, because they just dropped in the Championship. So... So once I went there, I talked to the manager, explained everything about about what he needs, what he wants from me to help the team to, to try to, to bring them up in the Premiership. So that was very interesting and that was a good challenge for me. And then like big club like Patrick, you can't say no. So I was rooting for the channel, that's why I signed for them. During your time at the club, you, you made limited appearances. When you first joined, you had some, some legal implications hanging over you. What was that like for you? It's quite a, an unusual circumstance for a player to find themselves in. How did that affect you? Yes, you're right. I have a limiting experience, like you said. and uh, But that was uh, on football pitch, you know. But in a legal point of view, he was... Gary Britton was doing great, you know. He was doing his job, he was doing his best. I say hello to him as well. A great man, you know. He's a good guy. He helped me a lot about these legal problems. But that wasn't the issue for me, you know, because I was totally focused on the pitch. And, uh, you know, I will try to help the team as soon as possible, you know what I mean? So I do my best. I think I do my best. It's true I didn't have the chance to play more game, but I think I do my best before I get injured. So I want to thank again the club, Gary Brayton, 
the president when she was there, and all the fans as well for their support. Because they support me a lot, and I tried to give them back, but unfortunately, I didn't because I didn't have a lot of time to play. Even though you had limited appearances, I think the fans warmed to you pretty quickly. I remember your debut at Alawa. You were very enthusiastic, and the, the fans were really quick to take to you. What was your relationship like with the fans from your point of view? Yeah, the fans uh, love me, you know, and I love the fans too because, like I said too many times in all my interviews, when I play football, I play for those fans, for those fantastic fans who, who bought the ticket, who, who come to watch us, who support us in any condition, whatever it rain or it's hot, you know. So I play for them and I play for the football club, you know what I mean? So that's who I am, that's the mentality I got. I don't play for myself, you know, I play for, for the fans, I play for the badge, for whatever team I I've been, you know, but Patrick was one of the teams where I tried to do everything because it was the great team. Still now, they're the big team, you know. Unfortunately, it's happened. Last year, they dropped, but they're a good team. Believe me, trust me. Patrick is a good team. They only need, like, new organization. And you will say they're going to go back straight up. And now I think they got it because they got the manager who me there before they go sack. So they're doing good. So I wish them all the best and hope they're going to go back quick in the premiership, maybe two years or next year. I hope so. Because they go great people now around the club, great manager. He's a great manager. He had uh, he take Asha, where I was living before I killed Man up, to different level, you know. So I hope we're gonna take part in a different level with uh, my ex manager there. So they, they're doing a great job. I wish them all the best and and, and 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 like I said before, I hope they're gonna make that happen by going back to the premiership. And I'm sorry I didn't have the chance. A time to give all my best to uh, to to Patrick, uh, you know. So I'm sorry for that, and uh, and uh, I still support the team. I still pray for the team. I hope they're gonna go back soon in uh, up. Obviously, Alan Archibald was sacked quite early on in that season, and then Gary Caldwell came in to replace him. What was your relationship with him like? It was sad. It was sad to to see uh, Alan going like that. You know, he was a gentleman. He was a hard worker. So uh, I feel sorry because I didn't have the chance to to give him back the faith he, he had on me, you know. So he was very sad. But now I'm really happy as well because he's a, he's a Patrick at the moment. He's doing his best with the new staff. And I hope they're going to bring back the team up. And that's all. About Gary Gadwell, I don't have good relationship with him on football. on Just on football. Outside football, I don't have problem with him, you know. He's a good man, he's a gentleman outside football. But in football, I, I didn't have a good connection with him. Maybe because he didn't like how I play, or maybe because he didn't fancy me. You know, sometimes like that. Sometimes you can be the good player, whatever you want. But the manager maybe doesn't like you or he doesn't fancy you. I don't know. It's only him knows why and what he was doing. You know, but outside football, you got a great relationship. You don't have a problem. I don't have a problem with Gary. No, no chance. I don't have a problem with him. I still like him as a manager because I learned something from him. From him. I didn't learn something from me on football. I learned something from him outside football as a human being, you know. Because when we had a bad time at Patrick uh, in that time, he went with us in Spain. So we learned to be together and then we do some... Uh, I don't know if I got the homework with the military camp where I learned a lot, you know. So he do his best as well. Uh, he do his best by try to give that mentality to us. He do his best by trying to give you that mentality, winning mentality, fighting spirit to the team that time. So, you know, so I can't complain, you know. 
because manager is the boss who decide everything. So, you know, I know my quality, I know I'm an hard worker too. And I think he knows. Only him know, maybe, like I said before, he doesn't fancy me or he doesn't like me. I don't know. Only him knows. You know, but the relationship outside football is great. Even if you call me now, I'm going to answer. If, if you talk to me now, I'm going to answer. So I don't have a problem with him. Finally, I just want to ask you, uh, when you were at the club, who were your favourite teammates and are you still in contact with anyone at the club? Uh, all my teammates were my friends, you know. But outside football, I tried to talk a lot to Siena because he was a young lad, you know. He just came from through reserve team, so I was giving him a lot of advice. Even when I've been to the national team, he sent me a good message. I answered him as well, and I wish him good luck. So I can't, I can't say he was a one who was close to me, you know what I mean? Because even now, I talk to him when he sent me a message, you know what I mean? But all my teammates were my friends. I didn't have a problem with any, any people. The problem, I cannot, I cannot call that problem. We, we can argue, you know, in the change room, but I don't have a problem with any, any of my teammates. You know, everybody were, were good to me, I were good to them as well. Can't say only Siena because he was the one who I was giving advice all the time because he got quality. So you need some a bit focus. And I still keep in touch with Gary uh, Breiter. So we speak often, yeah, that's true. By email, something like that. I'm still having a connection with the club, you know. So even though I forgot the name, uh, uh, I forgot his name. It was some gentleman there. I forgot his name. I do the interview with him. He wore glasses, yeah, I forgot his name, he was a good gentleman, he's a good guy, he's a fantastic person. I say hello to him too, and uh, every people were my friend, so I don't problem with them, I can't complain. Solomon, thanks very much for your time, and all the best for the future. Yeah, thank you very much, take care, and hope they finally going to enjoy my interview.